Good morning, everyone. We are living the authentic life today. We are back in studio at RFC Media, and I have three fabulous guests today, one of which is my sister, Marian McClendon, from the amazing Houston 20 group of women. And um, we have a text feed, so we feel like we talk almost every day of our lives, but we have come together to fight sex trafficking and we've had a few episodes in the past to talk about this, but today we're thrilled to share this incredible movie that Miriam actually worked with. These two incredible other ladies, uh, Sadali and Anabuti, who are actually coming at, to us from their retreat center in Dallas. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Yes, and Miriam, we're very jealous. Marion has been in Maui for three weeks, so we're um, tunneling energy and sunshine to us <laughs> in Texas. Right. I'm sending good juju. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, ladies, tell us a little bit about the um, Sadali. Tell us, you start and tell us about you guys um, have an incredible spiritual retreat center. How did you become aware of trafficking and how did this passion start in your fight against trafficking and helping the survivors? Absolutely. Thank you, Donna. Um, I first learned about human trafficking through a movie called The Whistleblower years back and the pain touched me deeply um, as monks and as human beings. We're, we're very compassionate. So anytime we see suffering, we're were inspired to do something about it. So when the time came, um, we actually made our first film a few years ago called Stopping Traffic. And that documentary was very um, shock and awe level to uh -huh. educate the communities um, and inspire action. But what we realized um, with the first film was that it was kind of incomplete because we didn't really go deep into the survivor's stories. Uh -huh. and follow their journey of healing and, you know, the mental issues, the emotional issues that they go through after coming out of trafficking. So that's why with our second film, Surviving Sex Trafficking, we wanted to focus on the survivor journey. And you guys traveled around the world to interview people. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Sure. So um, with the first film, we did travel to Mexico, Philippines, um, and of course here in the US. And then for the second film, we did a, a trip around the world where we went to Hungary, Philippines, Ethiopia, India, and here in the US as well. So it was an incredible experience because you get to see how trafficking is in not just here in the US, but in all those parts of the world. And you begin to understand and realize that it's very different in each country. So, Marion, what it, what were some of the most noticeable differences to you because you were traveling with them? You know, I've been exposed to trafficking in Houston, mm -hmm. and even before that, some in California. I was involved with a group in there, but it was very U.S. based, mm -hmm. and it's kind of you know a little bit what you see in the movies. But when we got to Hungary, it was so out there. It was so obvious. Um, you'll see a scene in the movie where one of our crew members is actually confronted on the street to try to recruit her by three men from Switzerland, I think. So it's so obvious and it's so it seems more accepted there because it was just um, 
So they're in plain sight. The red light districts you see everywhere around the world are just out there for everyone to see. Wow. So, Sadali, how are the women when you approach them to talk to them? Are they open to talking to you or is it a process to let them feel safe to open up? It's a it's a process um, for the survivors um, in the second film. Uh, we had post a post a post on social media through Instagram and a lot of survivors reached out expressing, you know, their wish to tell their story. So already they felt by either watching our first film, looking at our account, they felt safe. They knew we were monks um, and they felt that trust in us. But of course, when you have that moment and you sit down with them, um, you know, we have to establish that trust. So usually I'll say something, I will, um, you know, of course, express my gratitude for them and just let them know that there's no judgment, that it's safe, that this is a safe space if you ever need a moment. So automatically they feel like that they can let their guard down and then really open up and share their story. And and recently I was talking with someone and they said that, you know, the the film is so real. It's so raw. And even another person, another filmmaker, they were asking like, well, how did you get them to open up so much? Well, when you create a, a bubble and an environment of safety and trust, they will share your story knowing that you're going to bring a voice for them to a much bigger platform because really that's their goal. They want to share their story. So first it starts with you. And Hollywood accepted your movies, which is interesting because we often think of Hollywood not almost glorifying the journey with Pretty Woman and other movies that the songs and different just the way that we look at it as a culture, Hollywood almost glamorizes it. So tell us a little bit about how, because you were award-winning and your movie <clears throat> was acclaimed, your first movie, and we're expecting that for your, your second as well. <laughs> it's, um, I think the difference is when you, when you're independent and you're an, you're an independent filmmaker, so you really get to control the narrative. So basically you want to find the people that are willing to support you and, mm -hmm. and support the message. Uh, bigger studios, of course, it's, it's harder to get into because mm -hmm. they're thinking in a different way, but just the fact that, um, our first film got distributed by one of the top um, distributors in the United States. And then also our second film was picked up quickly for distribution. So it shows because they're looking at the market, like who's going to watch this film, who wants to learn, yes. but because of Epstein and because of R. Kelly and all of these big names, now people are wanting to know, well, what happens to the survivors? So I feel that because of all of the efforts of the nonprofits 10, 15 years ago, this topic is becoming more acceptable. And now Hollywood and other areas want to know more and get on board. Yes. So on a booty, I, I talk a lot about my, my platform is so much about fashion and style and Marion is so fashionable and stylish, but you guys are your style and the way you present yourself to the community takes when I see you, I immediately feel less judged and I, well, maybe not less judged, less um, threatened, maybe because I feel like you are 
spiritual women. But then I feel, oh, goodness, they're so spiritual. They're going to see my flaws in me. Like, how does does that come into the play where you're talking to these women and they feel vulnerable? Is the spirituality side of your journey, does that help them? Like, talk a little bit about that interaction. So, I mean, it's definitely very interesting. Anywhere we go, you know, we're wearing our white robes. Yes. We're walking like a lot of attention. Yes. We go to red light. We go to the red light districts, you know, as we are right now in front of you. And definitely, you know, it makes people turn their heads and (laughs) see what we're up to and who we are. Um, So that alone is definitely a whole story. But um, but in the process of making the film, um, it has definitely helped us because our intention is always pure. Yes. Our intention, you know, it's it, this is a the film itself. It's a nonprofit film. All of the work we're doing is it's all nonprofit. You know, we're not getting paid to do any of the work we're doing. So that alone establishes the intention, and the intention has always been mm-hmm. to be a voice for the voiceless, to be a platform to share the stories of survivors, and just to extend that alone. It's it's a big deal. Uh, but in the communication with the survivors, of course, mm-hmm. it has helped us because, you know, we're there to be loved, to be compassion, to be uh, to listen to them, uh, to relate to them, even though we'll never know what they've fully gone through and what they've experienced. Uh, but something, you know, that you I don't know if you know, but we're both um, um, victims. We were victims of child sexual abuse. I did so not know we, that. Yeah. So through that experience yes. alone, you know we're able to not necessarily understand everything that the survivors have gone through, but, you know, we are able to, to relate to them to some degree. And because of that, you know, we want to be fully there for them and, and help as many women and children, little girls as much as we can. So I've shared this on occasion, but I'm, um, I was a victim of, um, a sexual abuse in college and I experienced a trauma for it and so long afterwards I wanted to make a difference because I felt like it came from a place of vulnerability a few bad choices that I made and positions I put myself in not that anyone asked for things to happen but I think that it makes me understand the journey of these women is sometimes they don't feel like they have another choice or they were abused as a child. That seems to be a story that, and they were abused anyway, so they might as well be paid for what they were abused doing because they've already numbed themselves to it. But there is so much of a connection you can feel when you share your pain and you can let people know that there's a way out of it. And Marianne, you do so much with the Haven, and you're working with women there who are coming out of this situation. Tell us a little bit about what we're doing in Houston for the people to come out of these horrific journeys they've been on. Well, as you know, in all of our meetings, you know, we have this kind of hierarchy of, of needs, if you will, of, you know, where do we start? And it's a multi-level process, and we have kind of start on you know, awareness. It's not the Liam Neeson movie taken. Like that's one small aspect of it, but the education, awareness, 
that part. And it's so key and it's so critical, critical, but it's kind of at the bottom of the spectrum. So we have to be aware. But once we get girls out, that's where the real work begins. <clears throat> they, especially young girls, that we don't have a good place for them to go. And that's particularly in Houston because we have such a big problem. But it's, it's across the country. We don't have a safe place for them to go. Many times they need to exit the community that they're in because their trafficker is there. Maybe it wasn't a healthy home life environment and they need to be away. Um, so we need these the stabilization and emergency centers where they can go and just kind of be for a minute. The first 48, 72 hours, just to let them be and sleep and rest. And then we kind of assess where they go from there. And there's lots of great programs that we have in Houston and other cities that take minor children and get placed in foster care. Uh, but we also have lots of places for women, uh, adult women, to go and really get the trauma-based or trauma-informed therapy that they need to move forward in their lives. Because it's, the abuse is one part, but so much of the ongoing trauma that they're going through is their own emotional pain. And so they need this trauma bond broken and it's a very specific type of trauma care or therapy that they need after. And so um, we're really trying to focus on, you know, the, the small amount that we can save and get out of the life where, how do we best help them after? So that's where a lot of our focus and attention has been going to find, to fund stabilization homes and, and places for them to go. So uh, let's talk a little bit more, Sadali, about what you guys are doing in Dallas at your location. So our retreat is Siddhaithan Spiritual Retreat, and it was established almost 14 years ago. Mm -hmm. And our teacher, Acharya Sri Yogesh, um, he has an ashram in California, and that's where I met and studied there before moving here. And we realized, you know, people need a place to go. People want to find peace. Um, People want to learn how to love themselves, to heal from pain, to overcome addiction, and uh, to get through stress and, and so many things. You know, we're humans, everybody has issues, but I think in the end, people are also wanting love and peace as well. So we have a 250-acre retreat center. Um, we offer workshops that are three days, so people come from all over the world to to learn from, from us, our teacher, and learn the practical ways to help them heal their body. Uh, because you know, we can go to therapy and that's a start, but a lot of the pain and suffering and the stress is in our bodies, in our, in our physical body. So uh, that's why we focus on yoga, breathing techniques and, and fasting to help purify the body. So this way the mind starts to heal and then through that process connect to our soul. Wow. So I shared with you guys via text that um, my daughter has been going through a lot of challenges with um, migraines and just mental health. And we've seen so much more of that. The numbers, I don't have them in front of me, but uh, almost doubled with the pandemic and how kids and teens are are working through that. So Anabuti, will you share some things that maybe moms and dads listening out there, some things that maybe we can do at home or exercises or uh, breathing, because I keep, I've been diving into this and breathing is one of the biggest things I hear about in our health. 
I mean, if you really think about it, I think most adults have forgotten how to breathe correctly. So just starting with that alone, it's um, we are not using the body correctly. The lungs are not open as much as they used to be when we were children. So one of the things that we teach is like, if you really pay attention to babies or toddlers, you will remember how to breathe correctly. And that is always with the belly out fully. So what we do as adults, you know, and even as we grow up with society, you know, what society tells us to do is to suck in the belly and to stand up straight and to kind of tighten your chest. So that alone, it's the first thing I always tell my students. It's like, forget that rule from society because that's creating more stress, more tension and more stiffness in your body. So one thing you want to do is always relax your tummy and just let it go. And once you do that, automatically you invite more peace into your life. And then from there, you know, we have all kinds of breathing techniques from the yogic ancient system. Um, it would take me a whole, you know, few hours <laughs> teach you a lot of them but uh, even with what we call baby breathing baby breathing is inhaling uh, of course through your nose and then holding you count to 10 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 10 and then hold it for five and then release for 10. but always making sure that you're using your stomach the diaphragm right here it's uh, the muscle right underneath the chest cavity and that you have to use it to expand your tummy and then to bring it in, inflating it when you inhale, deflating it when you exhale. So it's just one simple technique that we teach, but everybody could benefit from it. And, and with all the stress from everything out there, uh, this could be very helpful for to release some of the tension and the stress. Such great information. We might be seeing you a weekend soon. <laughs> Marianne, yeah. have you gone to the uh, retreat center yet? I have, and I've been through a breathing class. And it's like, like she said, you know, we're all taught to shoulders back, mm-hmm. tuck your, you know, sit up properly, but that completely inhibits your ability to breathe properly. And so when you can do that, and it's not easy. The first time I went, um, I was with Acharya Shri. And it's not easy mm-hmm. to follow along with him. And I mean, you almost feel like a head rush because you, you have all this oxygen in your body that you're not used to, you know, from shallow nose breathing, we don't get that rush of oxygen. And it wasn't an easy class, but I felt fantastic at the end of it. Wonderful. So you and your husband own a wellness facility and your and um, your life is about wellness and and you've given so much to so many, and I didn't realize that your niece is autistic, and that's how you became involved with no autism. And that's actually the way, I don't know if you know this, that I met Amy Pierce. Tammy Wynn <laughs> introduced us when we chaired the No Autism Gala a few years back, and now she's one of my closest friends, and I know one of your closest friends. So Absolutely. tell us about autism and how that's another charity that has your heart? You know, I didn't really know how to relate to my niece. We don't live in the same city. So I see her three or four times a year. And when they're young, it was, Mm -hmm. she's very high functioning. So um, she's verbal and and can do all, you know, motor skills and all that. Hers is very socially driven in that she can't make eye contact. She um, will be looking around all the time. And so they discovered it very early. She's a twin. 
So it was really highlighted mm-hmm. that one was progressing and one wasn't. It was very obvious from about a year and a half old. But I didn't really know how to relate to her. And I didn't know the struggles that my brother and his wife were going through and that my her twin sister was going through. Because obviously when one child gets all the attention and needs it, the other child sometimes doesn't get everything that they need. So it's really helped me understand the family dynamic and not just you know, getting the child, the occupational therapy, speech therapy, the ABA therapy, but it's treating the whole family. And what you said is so true about the young girls or teenagers in general right now suffering so much. And I mean, you and I personally know probably five kids who have gone through a lot over the summer with what's going on in Houston. And my nieces up in Chicago are going through the exact same thing. When you're masked up and you, you especially for an autistic child, uh, yes, not able to read someone's expression yes. and not communicate verb with because they're not verbal sometimes. Right. They need to see what you're saying and see how you're behaving. And when we're all covered up, it's very, very difficult for children on the spectrum to to keep progressing. And they're having speech delays because of the mask issues and um you know, we have some speech pathologists on our board who have just said how horrible this masking thing is. For yes. Um, but anyway, the new autism has been so fantastic because it's really heightened my awareness and brought me much closer to my niece and my brother. So it's been wonderful. Well, you have certainly done a lot of successful fundraising there, but we are here today to talk about the movie and about Houston 20 fundraising. So there's a few opportunities for people to see the movie and to be involved. Let's talk about that. Yes. Well, we are um, screening an exclusive Houston premiere screening on um, March 2nd. It's gonna be uh, at the bottom on the bayou. Tickets are on sale now. We'll make sure everyone has that link if they need it. And I'll tell you, I've seen the movie on my computer screen at home. And it was fabulous and wonderful and all that. And then when I saw it on the big screen with an audience in Hollywood uh, in over the fall, it's a completely new experience because I know the girls. I was there for the interviews. So I have a different perspective. But to see the audience react to these women was so moving. And on March 2nd, they, three of the survivors in the film will be with us in Houston. One oh, of them beautiful. is in Ethiopia and can't make the journey, but we'll have three of them there that you can meet and talk to. And, um, and they're amazing, amazing, successful, accomplished women. And what is that website to go buy tickets? Is it fightforus.org or is it? Yeah, it's the fightforus.org. And we also have it on the surviving sex trafficking site too. Am I correct? Yeah. Okay, great. And we'll post it uh, right under our, our stream. Wonderful. So, so Dolly, do you find that the women are asking you for forgiveness? Are they able to forgive themselves? Is it part of, like, do you help them with the spiritual journey through this? Because I feel like such a big part of this recovery, and I love that question, you, you say, are we ever really healed? Like, for me, my healing comes from my spirituality, is that part of what you go through with them? Yes, in, in different ways. It depends on what they're focusing on. Um, I won't specify who, but mm-hmm. you know, some are dealing more with anger, not necessarily forgiveness, just anger mm-hmm. at the situation, what they're going through. 
uh, but they really turned to us mainly looking for peace. Like, okay. how do I find peace in my life? Like, how do I not get so overwhelmed? How do I, um, you know, not get sucked into the drama and just be in my own bubble? So, um, so yes, they they sometimes call us their angels or you know Aww. their their favorite monks or. <laughs> I they, love that. We're so, and we're, we're so honored, of course. Um, <laughs> we feel like, you know, our our family continues to grow. And um, so it's really an honor to be with them, to be there. And they know that they can reach out to us at any time for a venting session and and just to know that we're going to listen and just give them something positive to think about or give them a new perspective. So that's what they really hold on to. And through that, I feel like that's how they're healing and that's how they're growing um, spiritually and, you know, just becoming more balanced in other areas of their life. And, you know, I'll say, Danae, that they do that being with them. I don't have the kind of trauma that a lot of the people that are going through. I mean, everyone has their own trauma. Yes. In life. But when I went to the retreat and when I get them by myself, Sadali and Anna Booty, whether we're traveling or wherever we are, it's like my own personal therapy session with with whatever higher power you believe in. They uh, they're my spiritual leaders as well. Mm hmm. And I just, I think that when you are so focused on all the external things, I'm doing a Bible study uh, with a few of the Houston 20 ladies, and we're right now the book's called Unhitching from the Crazy Train. <laughs> and I feel like so many of us are on this crazy train where we every day are affected by everything around us, and we have to be centered by something bigger than what's happening to us. And there's a lot also to what we choose to focus on and what we choose to our thoughts to go to. Anabuti, can you speak a little bit about that? Do you help the girls by retraining their brains to think in a different way? Is that part of the journey? Well, you know, when we're doing the interviews, um, you know, we're just trying to do the the interview. It's for the film. We're not necessarily, you know, trying to cover those things. Mm -hmm. uh, it just happens kind of naturally when we are with them, when we are just in the car and they ask a question. And, and it's not just the survivors that you see in the film. We've stayed in touch with all the other survivors that we've interviewed throughout the years. And they become family to us. Um, we get to spend time with them. Uh, if we go to Mexico, we go and see the survivors there. I mean, anywhere we go, we try to connect with them. Um, so it's something that just kind of happens organically. It's not like, you know, we're trying to say, you know, you should do this or, you know, it's not that there. It just happens that way. And we share our own experience of what spirituality is. And spirituality, you know, has nothing to do with religion. It's all about mm -hmm. your um, inner healing, improving yourself, um, how you can be the best person that you can be in this life. Um, how to find that inner peace and and all of these things are inside of us, you know, but we constantly seek outside. We want to go to okay. a temple, to a church, to uh, different places to find it. But in reality, is it's it's all here. And all you have to do is close your eyes and connect with that that peace that's already there. But we just haven't connected with it. But um, but yes, that's that's what we what it is and what we do and what we share. And I love that. Uh, that was something that someone said to me in the past year, that you have everything you need inside of you, 
and you just have to be able to pull from that. And that gives you confidence too, because there's so many times that we feel so vulnerable. We don't know the next step and maybe we're too busy fussing with everything to even hear what we need to hear because we haven't slowed down enough. So how did the, Marianne, tell us how the girls related to you. You're a beautiful woman. I'm presuming you weren't as stylish as you are when we go to our charity events together. But how did they relate to you being on this journey with them? You know, it's interesting. Some, uh, well, one of them, I had a personal relationship before the film, uh-huh. or, or maybe for the very beginning. So that kind of helped. But the ones that I met along the way, obviously, I have instant trust with them because I'm with Sadali and Anabudi, and they've mm-hmm. built that trust. Mm-hmm. So they trust that if they bring me around, that I am a safe person. And I've really, throughout this whole journey, I try not to offer any advice. I'm only a safe place for them. Mm-hmm. If they want to vet to me, if they have anything they need to say, I'm not the tough love one in their recovery process. I'm just goodness and light for them. I try to be. So they're very warm and welcoming. And a lot of these um interviews that we've done have taken place, like we'll be with them from eight in the morning until dinner. You know, we'll have breakfast together. Um, a lot of times I'll be driving them and I'll meet Sadali and Anabudi somewhere. So I have a lot of one-on-one time with them. And they, you know, sometimes they're opening up and sometimes they're just being silly. One of our girls is just, she's got the most infectious, beautiful laugh you've ever seen. And I just love spending time with her. And they've all been very warm and welcoming. And I stay in touch with all of them. And keep communicating and and I have new friends now through them. So beautiful. And you've had such a full life. You lived in California and then you moved to, was it Austin and then ended up in Houston and met your amazing husband. So this is not your job, but it's just more of a calling for you. It's amazing how if other people feel like they want to make a difference, can you tell them how they could join in this fight with us to fight for these women and men? You know, there's a few easy ways. I mean, come to the film. First and foremost, see what we're doing. But short of that, if you can't, I mean, wait till the theatrical release if you can't make it on that one day. Come to a Houston 20 meeting and you can hear what we're doing. And you can't help but be moved by it. You know, I had never had any connection to sex trafficking before I met an organization in California through kind of a business thing. And I heard about it and we were touched and moved by it. And then about a year later, I met Sadali Nana Booty. So I hadn't had a huge history with it, but once you're in it, you're so moved. So I would encourage anyone just learn a little bit about it and you can't help but be moved and a little shocked that this is happening right in your backyard. I was working with um, some people and I was at a a brothel and I was about a mile and a half from my best friend's house and she's got two young children there. And I called her on the phone as I was leaving and I said, hey, guess where I am and guess where I am in relation to your house. And then when we looked at the map, there's I think 50 within a five mile radius of where a lot of people live in Houston. It's so prevalent. And you get a couple of those stats and you can't help but be involved. So amazing. 
So, Sadali, tell us, are there any stories you want to share with us from the movie or any things that didn't make the movie that you think are meaningful that you'd like to share? Oh, there's a lot. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, I wish um, Hungary was a, a very special place, uh, but because of the requirements um, from the uh, shelter director, she wanted to make sure, like, the voices had to be changed and you couldn't uh... show the faces and but it was such a powerful moment. Um, Children at Risk organized mm -hmm. um, the, the trip. And, um, you know, so you have like 15, 20 people, you know, in the same room. Jeannie Mai came from Hollywood to join us on the trip. And it was just a powerful moment of these few girls um, reading answers to questions I had sent to the director as possible interview questions. But they literally, for their kind of healing therapy, they answered all of the questions and then they read it out loud to the whole group, which I think, you know, requires so much courage and strength. And through the tears, they were just touching us with their with their mm -hmm. stories. And so it didn't make the film, but it was just that magical moment um, that the activists and the survivors kind of had together to have that moment. And um, it was really sad because um, uh, a couple of months ago, uh, we had just made a donation to um, the, the the shelter in Hungary, and I found out that the shelter director that organized it for us, she passed away of a heart attack. Oh. And so I was so bummed by, but I, but I was just uh. so amazed by her heart that up until the very end, you mm -hmm. know, she was fighting for these girls. Wow. She was basically needing only $1,200 per month because she's not making a salary, just enough to cover um, the essentials, the food to, you know, do these rescues, $1,200 a month. That's what they were trying to fundraise for. And, you know, it's being passed on to another mm -hmm. great person, but to have met this wonderful lady, um, Ildilko, um, for for just a weekend um, and have that magical moment with, with the survivors. It's something that can never be forgotten. Oh, wow. And that was food. Very in Hungary, very uh, moving to listen to them, you know, obviously speaking in a different language, but we knew exactly what they were saying. Right. Cause you could see it in their faces feel and feel that pain. And yes. we're so thankful that we were there. They didn't know that people around the world thought about them. They didn't know. And I wrote handwritten letters, obviously in English. I'm hoping someone translated them. But they didn't know that people across the world cared about them. And That's... that, like, they were like, what, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, we, we want to know. We want to be here for you. And they were so moved by that. And I'm... their rooms were decorated in every beautiful color, right? <laughs> like an eggshell box right there was pink and blue and purple and all decorated and and they were minors they were all minor girls and just it was a really special day anabuti would you like to share sure i think for me it's just the um the impact that every single person can can have and do in in this cause against sex trafficking everybody can help we have seen it firsthand what happens when as a community, we come together and we help survivors and we try to provide the resources, the shelter, the medical attention, the therapy and all of these things. So um, it is critical that we support shelters, that we support the nonprofits uh, that are doing the work to help the survivors, because 
it does make a huge difference and lifting them up you know um we have an example of um a survivor in mexico who the um the activist leader and the the president of the nonprofit is building the survivors to become true leaders and becoming the next generation of the president and the leaders taking um you know the responsibility to carry the work that they're doing in mexico um, not just helping them you know to get through school or to give them a certificate or things like that but to actually lift them up and become the next you know president of the nonprofit. so wow. i think you know we all can do this we can learn from them and, and just do everything that we can to support survivors because it does pay off. Is there an outreach program where people could go to Mexico with you? Are there things that people do? Are you scheduling upcoming um, pilgrimage yeah. oh. opportunities? <laughs> yeah, so it's actually in our plans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we want to work on it. We want to continue, of course, traveling and visiting the, the different shelters. Mm-hmm. Um, the shelter in India that we work with, Kranti, uh, it's an incredible organization as well, uh, where we have seen, of course, also that they're supporting survivors and they're teaching them to be agents of change and to give back to their own community. They come from the red light district of Kamatipura, so not leaving the girls behind, but instead coming back and um, giving back to those communities. So, um, so yeah, we plan to continue to do more work internationally, going back to Mexico, India, and other parts. Uh, we just haven't had the time yet to focus on when. Um, and we, with COVID, it makes it difficult to plan. It does. And, you know, we have the to protocols. The yes. That, yes, the premiere is coming. It's on the way, too. So uh, once all of this passes, uh, hopefully we'll have some dates. And, of course, you'll be invited to, to come with us if, if it happens. You know, just to add real quick, um, we found that it's one thing to watch a film. It's one thing to read an article um, or a social media post. But when you travel together Mm -hmm. with an intimate group of people, 10, 15 max, I'd say, and you go and you go to the shelters and you spend four, five, six hours with them, you volunteer, you, um, you know, you can sing with them. They'll do like some icebreaker games and just hug them and spend time with them. That's when you really get into Mm -hmm. The experience because the experience fully changes you like you can read something watch something at it's one experience but i mean a direct experience like that that's what really brings you right into the movement and wanting to do more and whether it's you know dedicating now your life to you know maybe giving some resources every month to this particular shelter you know because you're you have that direct connection you know what they're up to mm-hmm. you know the benefits you see the girls mm-hmm. the boys um so that's why we want to continue traveling, um, also to continue learning about how trafficking happens around the world, but also to give an opportunity to you know activists that want to travel, uh, philanthropists that want to go out and and donate to the shelters and have an experience. So it's really important, and um, you know hopefully 2023, maybe or 2024, I think it would be great to get this going again. Do you think children could go with you, like teenage girls, like my daughter? <laughs> I think teenagers, I'd say maybe 15, 16 and mm-hmm. up if they can handle it, because sometimes it's, it's very emotional. Yes. Um, and it's or, or it's a different side has of happened to them. It, it can trigger them, too, but it can yes. also be healing for them as well. So, of course, it's up to the parents, um, you know, to make that call. But um, I mean, I think it's a great experience. Wow. 
And you know, the things that some of the places we've been and, and sometimes the conversations get quite graphic and that obviously wouldn't be appropriate. But a lot of times these ki- these women, young girls are just so happy that we're there. Uh-huh. It's, it's an uplifting, beautiful thing. And if I can just say one thing about the girls in Kranti and I, but I know that Sadali and Anabudi support their mission there and they take the money that's given to them and they take it to the girls in the red light district to give their allowance away, give everything that they have away to help the other girls that are still out there wow. to maybe have a wow. little bit better. I mean, that's the wow. emotion and love that mm-hmm. these women are passing on to others. And is there a way people could donate if they're not able to go see the movie? They can visit stoppingtraffic.org. So that's our nonprofit that we established after uh, the success of our first film. So any donations that go there go directly to survivors and to the shelters. And how could someone come uh, meet with you guys about a retreat? They can uh, Google us uh, at Sidaitan or visit Sidaitan.org. So that's S-I-D-D-H-A-Y-A-T-A-N.org. Wonderful. Well, ladies, in parting, is there anything you'd like to say? I'd just like to say that oh, it's been a week for me and my family, but it gives such relativity to life to have these experiences. And life is hard, but we can do it together. And this commitment of togetherness is such a blessing. And I would just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for what you do. Thank you you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. All right, guys, we'll see you here next week on Living the Authentic Life. Have a good week. Jai Sadatma. Jai Sadatma.